I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Unpacking the Toolbox is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Sergio, yes. you are such a handsome what gentleman. What is happening? Thank you. At the Gosh. time of this recording, it's been a hot minute since I have seen Sergio Lopez Rivera in person. Hello. <laughs> Same, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Betsy's known you the longest, and we can all go through where we first met you. I was guest starring on a show where I met you, and you look the same. What? <laughs> it's so oh, fucked wow. up. I mean, it's, it's so, so fucked, fucked up. up. It's like Dude. it's like the portrait of Dorian Gray or whatever that thing is. <laughs> Where's your portrait? <laughs> There's a decaying portrait in my yeah. attic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know what? I think it's uh, sleep. Sleep. Ah. Uh. I don't look like you when I sleep. Yeah, neither do I. And also, being in Hollywood, with our hours that we have worked with you in our pasts, I've seen you without sleep, and you look the same. And what I'm just so upset about is that you are a person behind the cameras. Guillermo and I are supposed to be the greatest-looking human beings of all time because of our... (laughs) And you are. And you are. And you are. And you are. Listen, I always talked about how happy I was that I didn't have the pressures that, like, Tony Goldwyn and Scott Foley had, where they had to look good, take their shirts off. Every other episode, I was like, fuck that. Huck could look hungover, like it's all good. You know what I mean? (laughs) No juicing. No juicing for for Huck. Mm -mm. Well, (laughs) for the people listening, it is so exciting to see you, Sergio. We've all known each other for many, many years. Many, many years. We're very excited to dig into the story and the history of one of our favorite human beings and one of the most talented people on earth, 
Yes. Oh. yes. He might have won Thank big awards you, recently in the past <laughs> couple of years, but that's just I the tip it. of it because <laughs> he... Yeah. <laughs> It's an Oscar, right? <laughs> it is. Sergio Lopez Rivera is one of the most awarded and respected oh. makeup artists in Hollywood. Not only is he a makeup artist, but Sergio has literally designed virtually every show, which we won't name right now because yes. there is a strike going on and we aren't supported. Yeah. But Truth. since a show very, very long time ago, we've always worked with Sergio to design the entire look of the hair and makeup and the characters from usually the pilot series on and the ability to actually not only do makeup with the artistry that he does. And trust me, I've experienced it. (laughs) It's terrifying. I think my husband just sort of was like, could he just come over every day for something? Because you look so good. But the idea that he actually is somebody who can design an entire look for a character in conjunction with a costumer is mind-boggling. It's my favorite thing to do. And honestly, and we'll get deeper into this, but the opportunity that I was given by Shondaland, where it just worked for everyone, if I were in charge of staffing the hair and makeup trailer, because you guys understood something that a lot of producers and production companies don't understand, which is if you let me create an environment, a family, I can control the amount of toxicity or or the lack of toxicity. And I can sort of custom build this incredible department that, yes, they're talented. And yes, they'll have an opportunity to to showcase their talents. But mostly it's the fact that I like to work with beautiful human beings things like that. And so it was a dream for me, like actually unimaginable because this had never happened before. It was almost like a branding for Shondaland that I can tell you stories about guest stars that would come in one of our shows and they would already know that this makeup and hair team was special or extraordinary or whatever. And then they would leave these thank you cards at the end because they had not had experiences like that in television before. So it was pretty cool. And I owe it all to uh, all to them, you know, because they trusted me. It was huge, huge, Betsy. And for everybody yeah. listening, like who doesn't know about the the hair and makeup people, <clears throat> if you are lucky enough to be on a show that has longevity, which the Shondaland shows fortunately do, they are mm-hmm. the people with you at four o'clock in the morning the proximity to your face. They know what your breath <laughs> smells yes. like after coffee. They know when you are nervous about doing a sex scene and your clothes are coming yeah. off and someone's coming to my trailer to paint my butt, yeah. right. cover a zit I have on my butt. I mean, that's yeah. how close you are. Like, look yeah. at Betsy's There's face. no boundaries. Hold on a second. Have you had <laughs> your, your butt painted? Yes. Our mutual dearest, dearest friend, I mean... who we also worked with, Denise Hooper. Oh, Denise. She, when I would have sex scenes, she would come into the trailer and I would be like, oh my God, like there's like weird, I mean, whatever it is, a mosquito bite, a zit, a patch of cellulite, like whatever it is. And you're just like, you are my person who can come in here and I trust. And so I think that's also why, Sergio, you've really, it was so amazing what you did because I think that it's forgotten almost about that like the hair and makeup departments on production are so close with the actors and with each other and are working such long hours in each other's personal space that if everyone can get along and it can be an environment of real collaboration and inspiration, it goes so much better. Yeah, 
it goes so much better, so much further when an actor goes into the, the hair and makeup trailer. There is a hierarchy, right, in their mind. Like the department head is obviously the better makeup artist or the better hairdresser. Right. And then the key is the second best. And then the third is the worst makeup artist. When that, in fact, is not true. I have thirded, is that right? Thirded yeah. For, yeah. for department heads and they have thirded for me. That's how we do this because we would rather assist an incredible person than hire a complete douche that just comes yeah. with, uh, you know, a great resume, but nobody can stand him <clears throat> because even just one person, one energy can throw it all off. You know, like literally my third had more credits than me. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't matter. It is. I needed to get rid of that hierarchy because at the end of the day, I needed you as an actor to feel as comfortable with me as I did with my third. I needed you to be as confident because as I grew within Shondaland, it was harder and harder for me to be the person on set making sure that you feel okay. And it was very, very important that you trusted my team. Delegation is such a huge part of a learning curve because I found that too is, you know, you can't be everywhere all at once. And it's really important that you trust the points of view. And for me, one of the first things we had to delegate was having somebody that we super, super trusted in this department First of all, to help design a look which is coherent with a character, which is a whole other thing that a lot of people don't understand what hair and makeup does when it comes to when you're part of the architect of how a character is articulated in the way that they, they look. But also over the years with Sergio, I would know that if he felt as though there was trouble or somebody was upset or they seemed vulnerable in the trailer, he could always text me or the creator of the show and say, I always say like sunny with the chance of rain. Like I'd say like, how's it going? What's the weather like? And he'd go, you know, there are thunderstorms. They haven't kind of arrived yet. Wow. Yeah. Light sprinkle. Light Light sprinkle. sprinkle. (laughs) (laughs) And he'd go like 911 hurricane and you're kind of like running down. (laughs) Well, the makeup trailer is also where the drum, I mean, not the drum, but it's like where people's secrets come out. It's like where people dish on a Monday after a long weekend. It's like where people feel for whatever reason. And I think it's been like this since the beginning of time in Hollyweird. But like you come to your Hollywood makeup trailer. That's where you're like, oh, you know, this is what's going on in my personal life, my home. Like, it's a really... A hundred percent. Very odd. The makeup, wouldn't you agree, G? Like, the makeup trailer is where we talk the most gossip. Absolutely. It's where Carrie would feed her little dog bacon, remember, every morning. That's right. Wait, (laughs) what was her name? (laughs) Josie. Josephine Baker. (laughs) Yeah, 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 she would feed her bacon. But, and then we would have our food in there. They'd be delivering our food. We'd be eating while you guys are trying to put makeup on our face. (laughs) Oh, this is so good. Yeah, Guillermo, right? thank you for bringing that up. But let yeah. me just say, go on the record as to say, listen, I understand your window for eating is short. <laughs> so is mine. <laughs> but if you're going to eat while I'm attempting to make you look really good, maybe not a double-double cheeseburger. Yeah. Maybe something more friendly like a carrot stick. Okay, whites, and then you yeah. can do you know, something. Straws are great. Straws are great. That's Just right. a smoothie with the freaking yeah. straws. A smoothie, yeah. So many minerals and vitamins in there. Yeah. We'd be running lines, 
constantly in the makeup trailer. Remember, we'd yeah. have actors yeah. come in that weren't getting their makeup done to come run lines yes. while Katie and I were getting yes. our makeup or Carrie. So you were dealing with all of that. People yapping at each other. The music's playing. The music is very important yeah. in a hair and makeup music trailer as well. Yes. There is usually music playing in a hair and makeup trailer. Yeah. And depending on the mood of the trailer, it's like not only are you a genius visionary in terms of visual abilities, but you have to be a DJ. Yeah. <laughs> you Listen, you have to be a DJ. You have to be a brother. Therapist. You have to be a therapist. You yeah. have to be like an emotional support human yeah. for another human. Yeah. We could get you one of those bibs that you wear that say emotionally <laughs> oh, support <God>. human. <laughs> yes. Great. This is the part that nobody trains you for. You know, like you could go to the best school. You could graduate top of your class. You could work with the most amazing producers. And nobody teaches you how to listen to someone. Nobody teaches you that the goal is to let this person who is upset or happy or whatever it is, be as ready as possible to step on set and do their job. Right now, they're mm -hmm. here so that I can do my job. There's something you need that morning after lunch, whatever, that you're going to need to feel free to speak. You're going to need to feel free to express yourself. And so there's a lot of trust and professionalism that go into staffing a trailer because you're right. I'm not supposed to know like 80% of the things I know, you know, yeah. they're just, yeah. they're, you're just there holding the space for someone. You're yeah. a lockbox. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, but yeah. I think what's interesting is you, you started to talk about something. I actually don't know the answer to this question, which is weird because I thought I knew so much. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into this? Like, what was your path to this career? I'm not sure if very many Spaniards come to Hollywood and become top awarded makeup artists, but maybe I'm wrong. How the fuck did you get here? I know. I know. You know, it's interesting. OK, I was born and raised in Spain. I was raised Hot. in northern Spain in Santander. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, absolutely gorgeous part of Europe is northern Spain. If you haven't been, I highly recommend it. And if you like food, I highly, highly recommend yeah. it. It's my top, top thing. Anyway, but I was born in 67, which means that I grew up in a dictatorship because Franco did not die until 75, I believe. And so 77 is the first time Spain is a democracy ever. So I'm saying this because I really cannot separate my journey as a makeup artist that, you know, was born in Spain. I came to Hollywood from the fact that I was a gay boy in Spain in 1967, you know, because it forced me to understand that I wasn't safe. I may have been safe in my own house, but um, I wasn't safe in the city. I wasn't safe right. in the country. There was no allies or no outlet for me to to know what living an authentic life would look like. I knew instantly that I needed to become two people, you know, mm. in order to survive, just simply survive my family. And so I needed to be able to become the person that they needed me to be, which was mostly just a good boy. And my real me, you know, which was a good boy who was also gay, who was also confused and needed a lot of support. And so what happened was I found a lot of support and outlet in watching movies. I just loved movies. And so this one time I rented. Oh, I was obsessed with The Exorcist, obsessed with The oh Exorcist. Oh, my God. Guillermo and Sergio. Good yes. Lord. 
Go we on a lunch beer hang, you two. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the movie so much that under false pretenses, whatever, I kind of convinced my parents to buy, you know, this was the age of the VCR. And Sony had come out with like this new VCR where you could like freeze frame and then freeze frame forward and freeze frame yes, backwards. Yes. Sure, motion. sure. So in my version of the movie, Linda Blair was literally swallowing her vomit, as opposed to, you know, because I just loved pause <laughs> and forward and everything. And I used to torture my sisters because I wanted to replay the, the, anyway, I was obsessed with it. And I remember asking my dad, I said, dad, where do they make these things? And he, you know, bless him. He's like, Hollywood. I'm like, where's Hollywood? It's like, that's California, California in the United States. I'm like, well, that's wow. where I'm, I'm going there. Suddenly it was like a seed. You know, I'm talking, I mean, I'm nine or 10 years old, right? And I'm wow. like, the seed was planted that there was an outlet for me. There was a place mm -hmm. for me to be where I most likely could be myself, could be authentic, could experience what it would be like to be myself, just myself. So even though I, I didn't come until I was 19, those 10 years, I was just obsessed with putting one foot in front of the other to make it to Hollywood for a couple of reasons. One of them was to leave my family, but not because I don't love my family. I adore them, but simply because I had no one to be gay with. Sure. Did you have a group of friends at all in Spain there? Like that were close friends that knew you were gay, that you were able to hang out with? And I didn't come out to anyone until mm -hmm. I moved to America. Oh, wow. And so, I mean, I came at 19, but I think the first time I said the words I'm gay, I think I was 20. Oh, wow. And then I, I came out to my mom at 21. And then, you know, that didn't go so well. So I freaked out and I didn't come out to my dad for five until five years later. It was just a right, mess. Right. And, oh, boy. Yeah. And so, you know, you realize, gosh, all I want is to be able to experience what everyone else around me gets to experience. They're not thinking about their sexuality all yeah. the time. I'm thinking about my sexuality all the time because it could be a problem. Right. And so that is such a driving force, I think, because you're not thinking, oh, I'm going to become a makeup artist and go to Hollywood and win awards. But you thinking, oh, I want to live my life authentically. What does that look like? And when you take care of your authenticity, when you're that young, I promise you, you have zero tolerance for the crap, the, the suffering, the everyday suffering. Like I could never be at a desk job. Mm -hmm. You know, I could never oh, do anything no. other than what brings me pleasure. Yeah, it's a hard way to learn that lesson because there's a lot of introspection that goes in like to trying to figure out why do I feel empty and why sure. do I feel like I'm an imposter? And so, yeah, I can't really separate it. But I came when I was 19. My parents, of course, wanted me to go to college, which I, I did for two years. Nice. <laughs> Where did you go? Well, I went to Villanova University in Pennsylvania the first oh, wow. my first year. You're yeah. kidding. Wow. I didn't wow. speak English. <laughs> I didn't speak English, like nothing. I literally, I mean, I came on a plane, but I might as well be a boat, okay? We will be back with more after the break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. So, and you didn't speak the language, but you managed to get through two years of sitting there and just looking adorable? Like, how the (laughs) hell did you do that? How the hell? Well, honestly, this is almost embarrassing because... Awesome. um, Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just that I was renting a room from a Spanish professor who was teaching at a university. My parents felt very comfortable having that arrangement, right? So, okay, I'm renting a a room down the street from the campus, and he has to help me. He takes me to the registration office. He is like, okay, well, you can't take this because you can take that. And what I ended up with my first semester was pottery. Photography, (laughs) pottery, photography, drawing, and art history. I was really good at art history in all all terrific tools, right? For being a creative makeup artist. Yeah. But you know, when you're 19 and you have essentially escaped your situation, I think you don't experience fear. You just don't. You experience acceleration. You are like, are you kidding me? I'm out. I'm out of here. I'm got out. I get yeah. to wipe the cafeteria tables as my job. I get to work at a dry cleaners. Are you kidding me? Yes. Yeah. Oh, hell yes. Are those some of the things you did? For sure. Well, I applied for a job in the cafeteria and I had to wear this polo that was really bad. It was a terrible mm. polo. I'm like, I hate this polo. Anyway, <laughs> but I started wiping tables and I did it for one afternoon. And I was like, this is not, I am better than this. I, I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> but I'm not doing this. I'm not wearing that polo. It boiled down to fashion. I mean, immediately. Right. And also it was a used polo. Like it was washed. Gross. But I was like, oh no. No. Oh Mm-mm. my God. So no. I went down the street on Lancaster <laughs> Avenue and I applied for this dry cleaners that had a help wanted. And thank God this man, this Greek man that owned the, I think he saw himself in me. So he gave me a job and I worked at a dry cleaners while I was going to school. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you get through two years and then you decide to drop out. Well, yeah. I did my first semester in, in Villanova and then I transferred to UCLA Extension in LA. I flew out here for the interview and, you know, it was like May or something. It was beautiful California day. I'm like, ah, oh, I found my home. This is this is where I want to be. And I, yeah, I dropped out. It was such sure. a sense of uh, an urgency inside of me that is like anytime I sat in a classroom for like an hour, an hour and a half, I'd be like, oh, my God, this is not at all yeah. what I want to do. Sure. But dropping out of school comes with such stigma, you know, my, yeah. my family is no different. So I had to be really, really sure of myself. And this is something that has helped me in my family. I didn't do the things the way that the rest of my family did them. And I had to be very, very sure of myself to not be dissuaded to do something I didn't want to do. 
Well, look wow. at you now. You got an Oscar now, so fuck all that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> were you doing makeup stuff throughout, Sergio? Like when you were in the first college in Villanova and then yeah. transferred to use In between, were you doing yeah. all sorts of makeup stuff? Yes, because I also, I have a, a huge love of photography. And one of my classes in college at Villanova was photography. It was great because Villanova itself didn't have a dark room on campus, but Bryn Mawr did the college for girls. And so I used to have to uh, go to Bryn Mawr for my class. And that I would spend my weekends in that dark room because I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anybody. And I'm a little bit of an introvert. I love my company. And I was just in that dark room <laughs> developing photographs. And the photographs were uh, pictures of people from school or class or whatever that I would ask if they would be my model. And then I would take them. I loved in the 80s. I loved shooting in cemeteries. I thought it was so edgy and cool. Everybody <laughs> you know? did. Yeah. Was, Come on. Yeah, you know, it's like put a long coat. Look. I <laughs> truly never did that. So you I, never missed, did that? I oh. missed the boat. Yeah. I didn't do that. Yeah. I bet Guillermo did. Guillermo did you? Oh, all that. I have so many photo shoots in cemeteries. <laughs> the best. It's so cool, right? You, you yeah. just thought you were so edgy. Yeah. And like, let's pose here on someone's remains. <laughs> so you're doing photography and you're you have models that you're doing the makeup and sort yeah. of styling it. So you have such an aesthetic to exactly. what things wow. look like. Yeah. Yeah. And I love doing that. And before I, I moved to America, I spent two years. I studied in Ireland and I studied in England for the two years before coming to America. So even though I studied in Ireland, in England, my English was really, really terrible. Well, who could understand anybody? I mean, yeah, yeah that's, that's true. <laughs> that's I mean, true. depends on where you were in Ireland. It can be pretty thick. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. No, but when I was in Oxford, I, my friends, the girls that I was in class with, I would take them to the cemetery or to like, there was these beautiful <laughs> yeah. train tracks that like went on forever in black and white, really sort of like moody pictures. I mean, I loved it. So I would do the makeup, I would do the hair, I would do the styling. So I kind of always did that. When I moved to LA, I started photographing dance students like students who needed headshots and didn't have the money. And, oh, wow. you know, and because I didn't have a studio, I would take them to the beach because I figured that at sunset, that magic hour light mm. is yes. better than any makeup foundation you mm. could possibly have. So and black and white with that magic light is perfect. They were bound to look good. Yeah. Yeah. They got the job. They got the job. <laughs> how did production happen for you? Like, how did photography and makeup and studies turn into, how did you get onto a set? My first job, gosh, I haven't had to think about this in so long, but my first job in the industry actually was a driver. I was, I started in transportation. <laughs> my God. Oh my you gosh. were transpo? Uh, I'm dead. <laughs> Did you know how to drive? <laughs> I did go to the DMV in East LA or something. I don't remember, but I, I, I did. I did. I, used, okay, I think I got my driver's license at 21. Awesome. It was all good. But I was working at a fitness studio, like at the reception. And then, you know, it was not a great situation. Uh, I lost that job. You know, I think the owner was a little shady and I wasn't responding to him. So I think anyway, he let me go. And so in the weekend that I was sort of like free, I went to this party and I met this person who happened to be a transportation coordinator. And he said, well, if you have a car and you need a job, come, you know, be on the corner of Willoughby and whatever on Monday morning at seven. Oh and it God. was wow. to drive for the movie. Are you ready? House Party 2. No. House Party 2. Yes, Betsy. 
Oh my wow. God. So I'm there. This was actually one of the most informative observational experiences I've ever done. I was exactly where he told me to be at exactly the time he told me to be. But the setting up of the of the base camp was starting to happen, right? Like that active, that early morning activity. This is my first time in a set. I've never been. I don't know who anybody right. is or what they do. But I stood there for about an hour watching it sort of come to life and really quickly understood that the PAs were getting bullied and abused every day. Like I knew that right away. I saw this young girl <laughs> running this way with four cups of coffee, running this way for 17 binders, running that, sweating, crying, whatever. I was like, oh my. For everyone listening who doesn't know, a PA is a production assistant and they are... They are the foundation of this yeah, business. They, yes, really they really are. They really are. are. But they are what right. some would argue the lowest on the totem pole. Yes. It's like being a waitress, a yeah. waitress from hell. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So just to make a little bit of a left turn, by the way, I always say that the most important job in a set that affects my job is the PA that runs base camp. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Your day is just not the same if that person doesn't have it together. I mean, they're in charge of getting you the actor in your chair at the right time. And also getting you all the information of what's happening on set. All the information, yes. exactly. Yeah. If they're really good, they're going to tell you the order of the first three shots, right? right. We're gonna do an over the shoulder, we're gonna turn around, we're gonna close in. Boom, done. I know yeah. exactly what it isn't a priority. When you tell me what the shot is, I don't have to waste my time touching up the wrong actor. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Or if you tell me super wide, I'm not gonna touch up anybody. There's no last looks. Go. Yeah. Go for it. And so for people who don't necessarily know all the ins and outs of how a show or a set works, so base camp very often is where everybody's getting ready and all the trucks are parked and the whole nine yards. And nine times out of 10, wherever you're filming isn't at base camp. Right. <laughs> so exactly. you have to figure out a way to get the actors and the people's to the place you're filming, be it a stage or be it a location, yeah. which is why all that yeah. timing is so important, right, Serge? I mean, it's like so you've got this really hard job when you're on set because you only have a limited amount of time to fix yeah. any issue that's going on or else everything stops. And when everything stops, then everybody starts to get pissy because it's costing money. So it's a whole delicate, crazy-ass dance that you have to do. It really is. Mm. It really, really is. And the thing is, there are two forces here that work against each other. One of them is the training we have received, which basically, I think it's a little bit outdated, this thing that we need to do a complete touch-up every single time that the cameras stop rolling. Like, that is crazy, unsustainable, unrealistic, crazy. Yeah. And so... It becomes a thing about very individual. Like if I'm in charge of you for a scene, Katie, and I look at you and I'm like, you look great. Even though I haven't touched you for 20 minutes, I don't have the need to touch you. But let's say that I'm working with an actor or actress that I know that if I just do like a little powder or the motion of powder, how many times have I touched people up with nothing on my path? <laughs> There's always that one actor who's like, you better touch me up no matter what. Oh, my what. God. Yeah. Actors are so cuckoo yeah. about this stuff. It's so weird. But I love knowing everybody's idiosyncrasies, idiosyncrasies mm -hmm. you know, like because there are some actors that just need that last look or the even just making eye contact with you. And they know that, OK, then you check them and they're good. Something becomes easier. They, they can drop something yes. off. Yeah. 
I love that. I love, I think it's because, you know, I'm a codependent person, but I love, <laughs> <laughs> I love facilitating that I can do something so that you can do your job well. Oh, it's amazing. Right. And so that's mm-hmm. why I appreciate the Basecamp PAs because them doing their jobs is making my job so much easier, you know, right. when they're good. Yeah. So hold on. You're a driver. You see that PAs <laughs> might not be for you. Is this how we get into makeup? No. You know what? I, what I realized, though, is like you need to treat those people well. Uh. That was the thing for me always. If I have the privilege to have come all the way from Spain to do this, and I am here, and I am doing it, I am here. I feel so privileged that I, what mm-hmm. I want to preserve is my joy. I want mm-hmm. to preserve the joy that I have for my job. And that is threatened every single day, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. by outside forces and outside stresses, you know? So and true. so for me, it all became about how do I become just a happy human being that gets to do what they love to do for a living, you know? And so I've always taken care of that. My mental health, hugely important. Mm -hmm. I understood that this could be a monster that could eat you alive if you were not careful. And so from driving, I learned so much about life on set and base camp and and what so many departments do because as transpo, I would have to run errands for makeup, but I would have to run errands for a wardrobe or for the director or get a smoothie from whatever, you know, like all of this stuff. And it was incredible. It was incredibly valuable for me because it allows you to develop respect for all these other departments that are working around you, what a hard day looks like for them as opposed to what it looks like for you. And just have that kind of empathy. That's what makes you, I think it makes you a great leader. Yeah eventually. From transportation, I I would just get hired by this this guy and Griffith was his name. And he would hire me to for movies. So sometimes I would be driving the director. I would just be the director's driver. So he put me in a movie with a director named Bill Duke, African American director, lovely man. And I did like three movies with him. And one of the movies I did with him starred Jeff Goldblum. Oh my oh, God. Love. Amazing. Jeff Goldblum was getting ready to do a movie in Spain. And so my boss, the director, Bill, said to him, you know, Sergio's from Spain. You should take him with you as your driver. You know? Shut I'm up. Like, Get? So he did. <laughs> he did? So, this is insane. Yes, he did. Okay, so by the way, that's a movie. Sergio and Jeff Goldblum, loose yes. in Spain. I have so many stories, you guys. You know, we went to Spain and something nobody knew is that I had actually never driven in Spain. Never. <laughs> wow. Never. <laughs> oh, my God. Of course not, yeah. I couldn't say that to anybody because, I mean, I wanted a job, so well, I said, yes, of course. Anything. I, yeah. Yeah, and also I found out that we not only had to drive in Madrid, we had to also drive in Barcelona, and we had to drive to Barcelona. So what I did, and this is for those of you out there who are listening, who are beginning your careers, perhaps, because this is how creative you have to be. I could not be found out that I did not know how to drive around Madrid. No mm-hmm. way. And so what I did is I would get the location for each day, the day before, and I would go by myself and run it from my house to his hotel, to the thing, and back. And I would do it a couple of times. Wow. Smart. And then so every morning, I just knew exactly where I was going, blah, 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 blah. Nobody ever knew. Hell yeah. In the process of filming that movie... Jeff Goldblum's co-star in that movie was Mimi Rogers. And Mm. so as luck would have it, Mimi also had a driver and Jeff had a driver 
But Jeff never wanted to do anything outside of work, never. So I would take him to his hotel, and then I would just hang out with Mimi and, and his driver, and her driver. And we became really, really close friends. Oh, my God. To this day, we're very close friends. But when I came, when, when I came back from working on that movie, Mimi called me and said, you know, I just lost my assistant. Do you have any interest in on being my assistant? And so I said, of course, you know. Wow. A different turn, a different job in the industry, yet another level of the industry. This story is wild, Sergio. So I worked for her for three years. She is absolutely amazing. I love her so, so much. But it was her who gave me that final push. She said to me, Sergio, I love you. I will keep you here forever. But it is obvious to me that what you have to do is do makeup. You need to go out there and do makeup. And so I got this book that was like a guide to how to become a makeup artist in Hollywood. I remember lots of resources, including schools. And so I found the best school, which at the time was Joe Blasco. Yeah. It was so expensive, so expensive. It was like $7,000 back in 1995 wow. or whatever. Wow, that would have been uh, so much now. Wow. So much money. And so I, I called my grandmother and I said, can I borrow this money? And she said, yes. Wow. Oh. After I graduated, okay, wait, hold on, you guys. I graduated. This is a, such a funny story. It was from eight to four every day, four months, three months or something like that, eight to four. But then there was a, a lab from four to six every day. That was voluntary. I was there every day until the very end of lab because I loved it. I was devouring it. This was my dream. As a child, I used to hide myself with my sister's dolls in the bathroom and give them makeovers. I'm like, this was like, <laughs> this was so in me that oh. I finally was here with a teacher that was a makeup artist in Hollywood just for me, yeah. four to six every day, two hours where I just got to take it all in. It was so amazing for me. Wow, Sergio. And so on the day of graduation, I've never come to like American school. So I really don't know the, how the, the order is or the process of graduating or whatever. But anyway, they were like selecting different people, saying their names, and they would come up and get the diploma. But then they started talking about this person in the class that had worked so hard, had done such an amazing job, blah, blah, blah. And I started getting like a ball of pain in my stomach of jealousy. I was like, who the fuck oh. is this person? I worked so hard too, but I was so threatened all of a sudden oh. until they mentioned my name. It was me. It was me. This person oh, they were talking about my was God. me. Oh wow. and I, my God. I was, so I, I graduated number one of that class. Wow. Wow. Which was great. I just think it's so inspiring because I talk to so many young people trying to get in this business and they feel like, they're supposed to study and it just happens and it doesn't like I too was working all my side hustle jobs until my late late 20s you yeah. know like it took 10 years of that sort of hustle before I could even yeah. really call myself a working actor you know yeah one of the things that I think we it's a mistake that we keep making Hollywood is in reality, your career shouldn't look like anybody else's, you know? It's okay right. to get inspired by someone, you know? But I think one mistake that we make is that we are constantly comparing ourselves, our trajectory with, you know, whatever high point somebody else might have had in their career, when in reality, you get a much better gift if you become curious about how you can have this 
career for yourself. Yeah. I think yes. that makes total sense. And actually, it's true yeah. on the producing end when you pick projects, because I think what a lot of people do is they just try to do something which was successful in another realm. Exactly. And yes. it's the same sort of thing where it's like the one thing yeah. we don't ever want to do, I don't want to do is what I did before. So it's not a determinant that it was successful for somebody else. It's just, is this something that speaks to you? So it's that exactly. same thing of, we all have these weird blueprints in our lives that you think, well, right. this is the way so-and-so did it, or this is the path, but right. this is a perfect yeah. example. There's no straight path. There is no straight path. And by the way, your definition of success might be completely different from mine. Exactly. Right. You know, and that's one of the things that we were talking about during the Oscar campaign because obviously it was such a big deal. I mean, such a big deal to be to get nominated and to, I mean, the whole process was just so insane. But everybody was asking me, what does it feel like to have achieved a dream? And I'm like, I achieved my dream like 30 years ago, you know? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I achieved my dream 30 years ago, this is awesome. And I, I'm so proud and I'm so happy to to get here, but this changes nothing. yeah. Nothing for me. I mean, if I'm taking my cues from what's around me, I need, you know, 700,000 followers. I need blah, blah, blah. I need more nominations. I need. And the truth is none of those things signify success for me. Success is for me that I do what I love to do. I love every I do every day what I would do for free. Mm -hmm. oh, I so feel like that. Yeah. You know, and how lucky. And so. But I can't be paying attention to the, what this other makeup artist is doing without a makeup because it's impossible and it's also not fair. Yeah, it's a waste of time. Yeah, total yeah. waste of time. And I continue to be successful every single time I choose my truth. That's it. We'll be right back, guys. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This message comes from Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Sergio, would your sisters ever wake up in the morning and go to their Barbies and be like, oh, my Barbie looks fierce. What happened? <laughs> and you were like, bitch, no. I did it. It would be like, who gave my Barbie a mohawk? Because I used to think that their hair would grow back, obviously, right? I mean, 
like, oh, and apparently you didn't have the Barbie with the little hole in the head where it just would. <laughs> no, this was yeah. no, no. This, these were the early Barbies. I had those yes. too. I mean, no hope. That's yeah. so no, but funny. One thing I I have to say, this is a big part of my story as a child, is that do you guys remember in America? You guys had the Barbie heads that yeah. were like three dimensional. Yes, yes, it was yes. Just the head. Just yeah. bust. Yes, yeah. right. Just the head. Well, in Spain, there was uh, a version of that doll, but it was bigger. It was actually kind of like life size. And and the bus was like, you know, like shoulders. Right. And her name was Gwendolyn. And somebody had given that doll to one of my sisters. I have three sisters. And at this point, at the point that I was, uh, you know, waking up to the fact that I love makeup and I needed to put makeup and draw and sketch and do be an artist or whatever. I found this abandoned doll on top of my sister's Murphy bed. And I had to devise a plan on how I was going to get that doll in the bathroom when I took a shower because (laughs) I shared a bathroom with my sisters. Two of them are teenagers. There's already all kinds of makeup crap in the bathroom and everything. And I needed, I needed, I needed to do it. I just needed to do it. But the thing is, I am in a family back to early 70s, Franco. Catholicism, yeah, yeah. my family no, yeah, is super yeah, religious. Like, yeah. I, it's everything is an obstacle. Yeah. <laughs> it's everything is an impossibility. So I had to, <laughs> I had to figure out when is the moment where all of my family is in one room. Uh-huh. So that was Saturday nights when we were all watching movies or TV together. So I would excuse myself, very responsible of me, and say <laughs> I'm going to take a shower. And so what I would do first, I would go into my sister's bedroom, which was adjacent to the bathroom, sharing the wall or a facade of the building with the bathroom. And I would unlock their window and I would run out again. And I was like, OK, bye. I'm going to the bathroom. I lock myself in the bathroom, crawl out the window Holy and they'll go like this on the side of the building Get to my sister's bathroom. I mean, my sister's bedroom, crawl inside, take it out, put it under my arm. Now, I was like eight years old. So like this doll was pretty big. Definitely the size of you. Yeah. Wow. Definitely. And so I would go back to the bathroom window, crawl back inside and start my makeovers. And then I had to clean her all up, rinse and go back out and put her back before the movie ended. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And you guys, I did this for years. Wow, Sergio. If Gwendolyn can talk, the stories that she would have... Oh, my God. But also, talking about learning how to work with a time schedule. Yeah, yeah that's great uh, for yeah. production. You're like. <laughs> no kidding. This is nothing. Like, this is so true. Wow. <laughs> great for what? production. I never even thought about it. I should have made my own call sheets. You should have, because you'd be like. <laughs> yes. Yes. I don't have to risk my life uh, and limb. I just have to apparently get her out in five minutes. So no funny. problem. But the end of this story one day I decided, because I had seen it out in some music video or something, that I wanted to give her super glossy, super red lips, right? That was my design for the evening. And so <laughs> my sisters had a lip gloss that was red. The same deal, go out, pick it up, come back in. But this gloss, obviously, you put it on plastic and it doesn't have the same. It didn't tint it. It was like, right. oh, it's shiny, but it's not It's not doing what I want to do. And then I spotted red nail polish. Oh. I'm like, oh. So I just put, I did the most beautiful red lips in this lacquer red, right? Oh, shit. Fierce. And I'm like, oh, my <laughs> gosh, so beautiful, blah, 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 blah. Of course, when I 
the time cleanup came, it didn't come off. And I'm like, oh shit. Mm -hmm. Oh, this requires nail polish remover. So I got the nail polish remover <laughs> and I went like this. And then I just, it came off and then I just went like that and I kind of like cleaned her whole face and I took off all of her features, her eye color, her eyebrows, her lip color. I took every, everything off. Oh my God, she was just a faceless, and she was bald, just like faceless man. Yeah. And it was the saddest, most heartbreaking thing and I had to put her back and never play with her again. <laughs> Wait, did I anybody, you could have drawn a whole new face on her. What the fuck happened to Gwendolyn? Like, who wiped off her face? I put her back the way she was, which was kind of like up on top of that Murphy bed, sort of behind other mm -hmm. clutter yeah. and facing the wall. I couldn't it, even look at her anymore. <laughs> she wasn't an active plaything at that point. Right. So, okay. Your sisters didn't really yes. care about her. Yeah. No, oh, exactly. She was yeah. just like, you know. Wow. And then you had to butch it up. Like, when you were done in the bathroom, come back out and butch it up with your family, right? What's up, right. everybody? Just yeah, hold on. Little, my, both of my chest hairs out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Scratch yep. my beard, my eight-year-old beard. Like that. Uh -huh. No, but I have to say that that kind of mindset where you understand your environment, yep. you understand the unfairness of your environment, and you figure out how to not let that environment trap you, I think that... Mm at such an early age, served me so well for the rest of my life and for the rest of my career, you know? Because when a problem presents itself now, there's also a whole bunch of solutions that come together mm -hmm. with the problem, mm -hmm. in a way. It's just a matter of being creative and also being detached from the things you're attached because sometimes those things have to go. Yeah, there are tools that really helped. I think for pretty much everybody in this business too, it is that sort of idea of, problem solving. It's that idea of yeah. there's a way to figure this out. But it's amazing that you were doing something at eight that you won an Oscar for that you mm. you won an yeah. Oscar for Gwendolyn. I mean, you yeah. should have freaking <laughs> yeah. thanked Gwendolyn. You should yeah. have. Just her. for the yeah. record, Sergio. I, I would have. And I swear, I mean, trust me, because our Oscars were during the pandemic. There were rules about how many people could speak because after each speaker, they had to change the, the ball of the mic and stuff like that. So it came down to us. Only one of us could speak. So it was obvious for obvious reasons that it, it was not going to be me. We forgive um, you. And go ahead. Blame COVID. It's fine. It, <laughs> but I do. I think my husband wrote. He was obsessed with writing my speech. Right. And I'm like, OK, write my speech. I'm not even sure that I can speak, but go ahead. And it had that in it, you know, it had the story of like, no how way. it was connecting the dots of, of this little kid, which, by the way, had I fallen off of that thing, I would have broken my neck. Oh, my God. From the uh. windowsill to the street. But I have just to emphasize how dire a situation I was in as a gay boy that was just discovering yep. that he was gay. Falling off that ledge, I'm breaking a leg, an arm splitting my head open was less scary mm. than having my father run into me in the bathroom or find out in right. any way. Absolutely. Right. By eight years old, dying was less scary than confronting my, my parents with mm. the truth. <laughs> I mean, essentially. I totally understand you know? that. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Wow. I just think what's also so amazing and that the relationships, I mean, I first came to know you when you were really on Kate Walsh, right? Mm. And you two are yeah. very good friends. And, yeah. you know, you work so closely with Viola Davis. And 
you did a bunch of us. I think you did Bellamy and me and Darby and a bunch of people. But these women, you're like their person. Like, how does this become this thing? Like, how do you collaborate on so many different projects with these incredible leading women who are such superstars in our industry? Without them all killing each other to try to make sure that they don't lose you. No, Sergio's mine. Yeah, Sergio's that, that. mine. Sergio's mine. Exactly. And Gwendolyn's like, he's mine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The booming voice from beyond the grave. <laughs> yeah. I have no features oh. and no mouth, but I still have feelings. Exactly. <laughs> I used to be pretty. <laughs> you know, Katie, the truth is I go back to figuring out how you want to experience your life. You may not approach what's important to you the same way as another actor might. And for me, I much more important to me is to bring my authenticity and to just try to create authentic relationships with the people that I work with. And if I can't do that, I really have to seriously think about whether or not it's worth it for me to have this job. That's how much mm. I value my joy. When I leave Hollywood, and I'm going to put a nice bow on that experience. I want it to really be something I'm very proud of. I constantly want to honor my inner child because he had it really tough and he had no one to talk to. There were no allies for him. <clears throat> the fact that I was able to do this. And so when I work with Viola, I think I work with Viola because she and I connect in a level that is outside of what I do for her, mm. you know? Yeah. And also, I think it's important also for her. I think she could have a better makeup artist, probably. She went out there and found it. But, no. but, but I think she values what we have. And so, and so do I, you know? And I think the fact is that, I mean, obviously with Viola, which she's written about too. And yeah. Oh, yeah. A deep, deep well of pain. And there is something about yeah. people who understand what it means to survive and yeah. mean mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. figure out ways of transforming your life in the way that you want, yeah. but never... Never sacrificing yourself. And never take it mm -hmm. for granted. Because I know certainly yeah. we were joking about this the other day, but it's like, I know I still, I still go to parties and there's free food. <laughs> and this is yeah. sad, <laughs> but I, I still always go like, wow, the food's free. And then I go, wait a oh, second. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 Like, I'm so lucky. Like, how, how did I get here? And I'm like, wait yeah. a second, you're yeah. 500 years old. You've been earning a living for 5 billion years. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with you? But it yeah. is that thing. And I think I feel really lucky. I mean, I think that's, the key. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I think tapping into that gratitude is fuel. It doesn't end when you stop saying the thing you're grateful for. That thing you're grateful for, you say it out loud and the first person to hear it is you. And I'm telling mm. you that's fuel for the next time. The next time you're in a situation, your awareness is going to lead you to the gratitude. And over and over and over and over again until you string together this incredible life of having been present having been authentic and, I don't know, just joyful. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's my career in Hollywood fits my life and not the other way around. Sergio, there is a book that we all need. I We're know super you excited this. about it. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm sure people <laughs> listening, whatever your careers may be, I just feel like so many of the things you say can be so useful no matter what job you're trying yeah. to do. Yeah. It is truly a privilege to, to work in this industry, even though it has changed so much. It's almost unrecognizable. It's brutal. And the things that this industry has taught us to value 
is how to work when you have a you know 104 fever, how to <sighs> sacrifice your sleep for work, sacrifice your family for work, sacrifice your diet for work, sacrifice your mobility for work, and praising everybody that was able to do that. I'm sure you guys know hundreds of stories of like, can you imagine she worked with a fever? Yeah. And the truth is that is not good. That no. is just not good because what it does, it removes our ability to be actual humans. Right. You know? Right. It's a double-edged sword because yes, of course you want to be an ultimate professional, but you don't want to you don't want to tell the world that it's okay to treat you this way. Yes, yeah. you know? No, there's there's a thin line between sacrificing for art and yeah. killing yourself. You know? Exactly, yeah. That's really well put. Well, this is what a joyous experience this what is. What a joyous right? podcast app. My Gosh, <laughs> such a pleasure for me. Thank you so much for Thank this. You, Sergio. Really... Thank, Thank you, Sergio. Thank you, Sergio. We love you. We love, love you. you guys so much. Scandal is executive produced by Sandy Bailey, Alex Alche, Lauren Homan, Tyler Klang, and Gabrielle Collins. Our producer and editor is Vince DeJohnny with music by Chad Fisher. Unpacking the Toolbox is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app or anywhere you subscribe to your favorite shows. I'm Katya Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.